All right. Well, hey, we uh, we are not in an official series right now. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Doug Palm, one of the pastors and elders here at Easton Fellowship. Um, so Aaron, who kind of schedules our, our sermon series and does a lot of work with our preaching team, um, she kind of left this as an open spot where whoever got slotted could preach on anything, which is a dangerous th- thing to give me. Um, so I'm going to do I'm going to do something I've never done here before. I've done it in a few other places, and we're going to do it's going to be a little different. Um, so let, let me lay out how this is going to work, and then we're going to we're going to jump in. Um, what I want to do is I want to maybe give about 14 or 15 minutes worth of teaching, very broad, very like high level content around um, one piece of what it looks like for there to be one story that is the story that we're all part of, and it's the one story that we find in the Bible. There are lots of different ways we can look at that story. There's going to be one way that we look at it tonight. Then we're going to stop, we're going to pause for like 60 or 90 seconds, and I'm going to lead you through a very brief time where you're going to take, um, you're, going to, you're going to write a comment down and you're going to write a question down. Then we're going to do some question and answer. And so we're, we're just going to keep it live, fresh, and interactive tonight. This is not going to be me like downloading a big preaching thing on you. We're just going to look at one idea and then we're going to unpack it in a way that whatever way would be most helpful for you. Does that make sense? It's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to it. I see that you're looking forward to it as well. That's right. So I feel like part of, part of what we always want to keep our, our mind towards is what it is that Jesus says that he's doing in John 5. And he's like, he says this. He's like, I, I am only doing what I see the Father doing. And so the question that we always need to be asking, the one that is like in front of our minds over and over again, is like, what is God up to? Um, and, and sometimes that question, what is God up to, it can look different, and it can be very unique and very specific. It can look very unique and specific for you in a given place or a given time. It can change. It can morph. But sometimes there are things that God is He's always up to the same thing all of the time. And what I want to do today is I want to unpack a little bit about what God has been up to since the very beginning and what he is never going to stop doing. Uh, Because what that helps us do is actually understand what we're doing here. And by we, I mean Easton Fellowship. And that helps us understand what it is that we're attempting to do and why from time to time we might hit certain roadblocks and why like, we might feel frustrated about certain things and what it is that God is doing in us and through us. Does that make sense? So this is, you know, a real simple thing that we're going to do tonight. Just trying to answer what has God up to. Shouldn't take any time whatsoever. Note the sarcasm. So let's pray. So Almighty God, we come before you tonight, and we have, we have already asked uh, that your presence would be in this place. And so we ask that you would with the spirit inside of us, that you would allow us to be present with you for whatever it is that you want to do, whatever it is that you want to say. Lord, we ask that you would give us uh, fresh wisdom, fresh word, fresh revelation of what it is that you're doing inside of us, but also what it is you're doing with us collectively. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So let me just start by saying this. Like, I want us to understand the Bible so that we can do the Bible. Um, that second part is really, really important because it is entirely possible to understand the Bible or know what it talks about or just approach it as 
some sort of like ancient text while having no desire or real ability to do what it is that the Bible is trying to encourage the people of God to do. And so I, and I don't want to say like by and large, the more we understand, the more that we can do. But sometimes I do think if we can simply understand what's happening in a broad level, it actually frees us in our, in our spirits, with our mind and our heart together to do what it is that the Bible is talking about. So Pastor Don is constantly saying, what are we going to do? We're going to do the Bible. We're going to do the Bible. We're going to do the Bible. We're not going to talk about the Bible. We're going to do the Bible. We'll talk about the Bible, but only so that we can do the Bible. We're going to do the Bible. That's a pretty good summary, right? Do the Bible. All right. So what is the Bible encouraging us to do? What is it that God is after? What's the story that we're all a part of? Go to the next slide. This is the story of God on one slide. And it, is, it starts, and we, when we know this, but it starts in a garden, and everything is the way that it should be. But it's really important. This is the lens that we're going to use the entire way tonight. Like, that God had a plan from the very beginning, and it was to place a family in this garden. And he never let go of that dream. Never. Because in this garden where everything was as it should be, everything existed. We're going to do a double click on this in just a second. Where everything existed as it should be, we kind of know what happens next. In fact, we can just look in this room, and we can look outside of this room and know that there was a breaking that happened. But the idea that the delivery of like God's kingdom in this world was going to be around a spiritual family was a dream that God was never willing to surrender, ever. For God, and we see this in the, in the, in the, the person of Jesus as well, there was no plan B. It is spiritual family through and through. And so when, when, we, when we read in the Old Testament about this, this nation that God collects, and he starts with one family when he calls a man and a wife and their future kids to himself, it's a family that would eventually birth an entire nation called Israel. And we're going to talk about how that worked and didn't work in some level at the same time. And then what we see in the church over and over and over again is at the end of the day, the church is not a 501c3. It is not a building. It is not a collection of like things or practices that we do. It is a people. It is a spiritual family. And the place where the story ends at the end of the day is a lot like where it started in the beginning, except it's a garden city and not just a garden. Listen to this. Like if you have a Bible, this isn't going to be on the screen. But I'm just blown away by this passage over and over again. It is quite literally the last chapter of the Bible. It's Revelation 22. And this is, this is how the story ends. Then the angel showed me the river. This is just verse 1 of Revelation 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. I mean, like, if you can get this, you can, it it starts to unlock a lot of the word. Like, that thing that God started with in the beginning, he refused to surrender. And he was constantly trying to get people to experience what he originally set up in the past, but what ultimately is going to be realized in the future. And so practically, that is what he is trying to do in Israel. Practically, that is what he is trying to do in the church today. How can I get this group of people, this spiritual family, to experience where we started together, but where all of this is ending as well, in the Garden City? 
Now, practically, let's break this down just a little. Like, we're already halfway through what I'm going to share today, just so you know. Let's go to the next slide. In the garden, you have the pure experience of the presence of God. The pure, like, God, like, there's this beautiful picture of God walking with his kids in the cool of the evening. Just walking together. Like a mom or a dad with their kids in the cool of the evening. The perfect experience of the fullness of the presence of God. But also in the garden, you have, like, there's this family where everyone is there. Everyone, there's no insider or outsider. There is only the presence of family together. No one is estranged. Everyone is there. There's not the people who made the cut and the people who didn't make the cut. It's only a family on equal footing together. In the garden, we have an experience of abundance. Everyone has enough. Everyone. There's food enough for everyone. There's water enough for everyone. There's sleep enough for everyone. There's, there are, there's clothes. Well, they didn't have to wear clothes. Like, quite literally, like, there's just abundance. And that is a marker of the garden. And then finally, you have wholeness. Meaning everything works the way that it should. Your body works the way that it should. Your relationships work the way that you should. Your mind works the way that it should. Your heart works the way that it should. Creation works the way that it should. There is nothing that is not working the way it was originally created to be in the garden. And then it breaks because of the choices that humanity makes. And so where there once was presence, there's now separation. And where there once was family, we now have foreigners. We create systems over and over and over again of in and out. Who gets in? Who is out? We have, we have people who have a lot, who have abundance, but then you have systems that are constantly putting people in poverty. And where you have wholeness in the garden, you have this thing called sin. And sin, and like the biblical definition, is missing the mark. And that can be anything. Sometimes, sometimes we think about sin in a Sunday school answer. Like sin is a willful transgression of a known law of God. Sometimes sin has nothing to do with your willfulness. It's just what is. So like my body was created to exist in such a way that like my body mass index with like the proportion of my fat to muscle to this, to this, to this would work perfectly. I mean, well, look at me. Does it look like it's working perfectly? No. It is not working perfect. Like, my BMI is way off. Like, to a certain level, like, my physical existence is slightly sinful, isn't it? But we don't think about it that way. But my body wasn't create. My body wasn't meant to age the way that it's aging. My body is not meant to die. But it will die. Because, as Paul writes about, like, even I'm taking into my body the sinfulness of things. And it's decaying from the inside out. Romans 7 ends with like, what am I going to do? Like this, like my body, this wretched thing that it is, like it's like it's wasting away. So sometimes we think about sin as like, I lied, that's a sin. But sometimes it's like my mere existence because I'm not functioning the way that God would have created me in the garden itself is sinful. So we might need a savior. I don't know. Does that, does that make sense? I'm not trying to hammer that point home like to beat you across the head with it, but just to say we sometimes miss how big the sin problem is. We really sometimes do. And I, and I don't mean, yeah, I'm trying to keep this tight. If you want to ask a question, though, I would love to, in a second, talk more about that. So what God is trying to do in establishing Israel is to say, okay, if I've got a family now that I've called to myself, 
what would it look like for them to live into the garden again? What would that look like? Well, it's going to look like this. We have a presence problem. Because man and woman and children are separated from God. So this is what we're going to do. Build a tent. And I'm going to live in that tent. And you can come visit me in the tent. Is that the pure expression of Eden? No. But is it better than not having God's presence? Yes. So they they look at it like, all right, well, we have a foreigner problem. Like, there's our nation and there's other nations. Like, should, what should we do about that? Well, a piece of the law in Leviticus 19, this is what it says. Treat foreigners as if they were native-born. Love them as you would yourself. Well, that, that says something. Like, like what, what the law is trying to do is to, like, let's, let's act as if Eden is still possible. God has not given up his dream. Well, we... There's a recognition in Israel that there's an abundance problem. Like somehow, over and over again, people who run into difficulty or people who run into people with certain parents or people whose parents were killed or this, that, and the other, like they get locked into systems of poverty. And so what does the law in Israel try to do? Every 50 years, we wipe away all debts. They're done. Because in the kingdom of God, poverty doesn't exist. Every 50 years, boom, done. Because we can't, we can't be a family of God together if there's poverty. And so in the, in the Israel's law, it was literally written in, that's not going to happen. Every 50 years, we wipe it away. It's a recognition that we also have a, we have a sin problem. There's this thing where like, we're not whole. My body doesn't work the way that I want. But I also, I'm going to be honest, like, as much as I, I might unwillfully sin, I willfully sin a lot too. And with that comes estrangement from people, it comes estrangement from God, it comes estrangement from my emotions, it comes estrangement from my body. All these things that are starting to get disconnected because of my sin. And what do I do about that? Well, I need to understand that there's something that has to take the place. There's something that like is blocking me from myself and from God. And so there are all of these festivals and there are sacrifices and these things to help me deal with my guilt and my shame about that. Now, this is an incomplete list. I'm just giving you five things to show you, like, the the idea that God started with in Eden, he carries into Israel. But the problem is that even with it legislated in law, even with it legislated in law, we still screw it up over and over and over again. So Paul, when he's writing in Romans, he says this, he's like, look, even when I want to do the good, even when I want to do the right thing, more often than not, I find that I can't because crouched right beside me is a different choice. And over and over again, I choose that different choice. Even when I know what the law is, even when I know what the right thing is, I look at the right thing and I'm like, you know what? Maybe not so much. Because what we're recognizing is that even the, 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 the decisions that we make, the things that we want to do, I sometimes don't have the power to make those. I have a power problem. And that I don't have enough of it inside of me. And so what it is that we celebrated two weeks ago with the resurrection is recognizing now there's a power that we have that we didn't have before. And there's a family of the resurrection that Jesus is wanting to form that would address all of the issues that we lost in Eden and the things that over and over again spiraled out of control with Israel. And when, when the church was formed... The thing that ultimately happened was that we now have the very spirit of God living inside of us. So again, Paul saying like the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead is now alive in you. 
Before, I'd never had the possibility, really, of making a different choice. But now, there's a power inside of me that is not my own. Because I had a power problem, but now I, have, I literally have the access to the power that put the stars into the sky. And so what God is doing in forming a resurrection community is trying to form a community that is going to look more and more and more like the garden in the beginning and more and more and more about the future that's going to visit us one day in the garden city. So let me, let me read a, a passage of what this looks like. Like, th- this is just what actually happened. In Acts chapter 2, we're going to pick up at verse 42. And then we're going to land the plane. It said, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. And then every day they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. One of the things that is, this is just hard for us to see, and I'm like a broken record on this, so you've probably heard me say this a couple dozen times, and you will hear it again, Um, is the way that we think, like the way that we hear that passage is wildly different from what it could look like and what was happening there. When we think church, we think building. When we hear church, we think organization. When we think church, we think several hundred people. In the New Testament, when they think church, they're thinking 40 to 70 people. They know the names of the people. They know the faces of the people. They know the stories of the people. And every day almost, they are bumping into each other. So when when we think about the book of 1 Corinthians, which is one of the books that Paul writes, it is probably written to a group of 40 or 50 people. We're thinking hundreds or thousands because that's, that's, what we're con- that's what our cultural conditioning is. It's 40 or 50 people. The book of Romans is written to a group of somewhere between seven to nine house churches that are meeting across the city of Rome. One of them is meeting in the very household of Caesar itself. And so when we think about these things, we're, th- like we're translating it into several hundred people. But when the hearers of these letters are hearing it and the experiences of the New Testament, they're experiencing in 40, 50, 60 people. Why does that matter? Why is, why is that important? Because when I start to look at, can you go two slides back? When I start thinking about separation and foreigner and poverty and sin, when I start thinking about some of those things, oh, we're, missing a, we're missing a whole one because the slide isn't low enough. There's also at the bottom, there's unity and there's fractured. So in the garden, everything is unified. And in Israel, and then in the church, we see that things are constantly fractured. Should have caught that. And I'm wildly off track now. What was I saying? (laughs) Oh, so when you've got a group of 40 or 50 people, and I know their names, I know their faces, I know their stories, there's a degree to which the family, the spiritual family is looking at themselves, and they're saying, out there, and I don't mean like an in or an out thing, I mean, out there in Rome, I can't control whether or not Caesar is going to make laws that are just or not. Here in the United States, I can try, and we can try, and should try, to make laws that are more just. But at the end of the day, I can't control that. Do you know what I can control? 
how the church does it. What is it like in here? Like when I've got 40 or 50 people and one of those people or one family in my house church is about to get evicted. What can, well, that's, it is our responsibility. It is our responsibility. When, when one of the people in my spiritual family is feeling estranged from God because of sin in their life, what does it look like to love them well? Maybe to have difficult conversations. Like one of the things that we miss, we, we, we read that passage with rose-colored glasses. Like we read that after, like, man, why can't we just be a community like that? But what we're missing is that you have this group of people who are stacked on top of each other. You have, imagine Q Street office, imagine one story the same size on top of that, and then cram 60 people in there, and that's their home. They're all living in there in extended family. Do you think there might be some conflict? Seriously, do you think there might be conflict? Maybe, maybe the church isn't a place where there isn't conflict, but we have the power and the tools to deal with it. Maybe, that, maybe it's not that we're ever going to fully live in a world that has the perfect presence of justice, but that in the church, in this spiritual family, we will see mercy and justice rolling down here. Like, where we're able to say, we, we, we will do everything we can to try to fix the broken systems that exist in Richmond, to fix the broken systems that exist in the United States, to fix these broken systems, to be involved with in them. But at the end of the day, there's, we, we will control what we can control, but here... For this family, and this house, and in this house church, and in this house church, and in this house church, we will own what it looks like to be a taste of the Garden City today. Dallas Willard put it this way. He said, Jesus didn't come to get you, just come to get you into heaven. He came to get heaven into us. This is, this is what, where we'll end. Uh, very last slide. Uh, Second to last slide. (laughs) We're not a community of perfection, but we are meant to be a community of practice. We are like some people, and and we we get the impulse. They they go from church to church to church looking for the quote-unquote perfect church. It doesn't exist. And if you are looking for Easton Fellowship to be the perfect church, the door is in the back. Like, We will not be that. We are broken people still who the Lord is slowly putting back together through the grace of his gospel and the power of his Holy Spirit, forming spiritual families together who are looking to to have a unified presence in this neighborhood so that the, the, the coming of the kingdom would be true here as it is in heaven, imperfectly. The good news of Jesus is not that everything is put back together in these spiritual families or that everything is put back together in you. But now that we have the power of the Holy Spirit and the tools and teachings of Jesus to do something. Why do you think Jesus was constantly so practical? It it wasn't because he was looking to like fix everything with the snap of his fingers like the infinity glove. It, It was like, I'm giving you power and tools to be the people of God. Like, we have to have a vision for spiritual family that says, like, not only like, will we stay at the table, but we're willing to fight for the highest possible good for each other. And that can look like here, they're, they're always, like, in this family. And so, like, I don't want, when we say church, it is increasingly unhelpful to think about this thing here. 
Think about your spiritual family. Who is the 20, 30, 40 people that you are committed to and are committed to you? And be like, in that group of people, everyone is going to have access to a good education. In that group of people, no one is going to have to wonder whether or not they're going to have a place to sleep at night. In that group of people, no one is going to wonder whether or not they're going to be accepted if just because they're broken. In that group of people, no one is going to have to worry about whether or not they're going to be cared for or lonely or shepherded well. In that group of people, everyone gets discipled. In that group, like, it is, it is spiritual ownership, a collective spiritual ownership And sometimes I think we're looking for an organization to do something. You are the priests. We are are not going to take the power of your priesthood away from you. You are the priests. You have been given the power of the creator himself. And he died so that you could have it. So let's activate it. All right? I went longer. I'm sorry. I get excited. Go to the last slide. We're going to take 90 seconds. We're going to be completely quiet. I want you to write down one thing. You can write that down on a piece of paper, or you can write that down on your phone. You can write it down on your hand. I don't really care. Just write it down. So I want you to like just do some very brief reflection. First, what was most helpful about what we just covered? And then second, what's the question you'd like to ask? And very specifically, a question about spiritual family. So not about anything, but let's drill down on like the topic at hand, which is around spiritual family and how the, the scriptures kind of understand that. So what was most helpful? What's the question you'd like to ask? We'll be quiet for 90 seconds, and then Chris is going to walk around with the roving mic. All right, so Chris is gonna Chris is gonna kind of walk around. It's, this is how it's gonna work. Um, you just pop up your hand. Chris, will come to you. I want you to start with the thing that was helpful. That just makes me feel good, you know. <laughs> Edifies the body as well. And then secondly, what's a question you'd like to ask? And then for, what, what I'm gonna try to do is to answer it and try to answer it somewhat briefly. There might be some that are bigger, and I'll and I'll, I'm gonna ask that we put that to the parking lot, and that we'll follow up in the next three days on that particular question. And some of that might be like right after the service, we'll do that. Make sense? All right. Let's have some fun. Carolyn. Yeah. Um, I think for me, it's always really helpful when you break it down practically from like, oh, this is this higher level thing that I'll never be able to attain to like, oh, I can actually munch on those little small bites and really uh, understand what you're saying. So it, ma- it makes it more real. So I love that. Um, but I guess my question would be um, on the spiritual family piece. Like we're all in our little segments of spiritual family, but in those spiritual families, there's like deeper spiritual family, like the smaller groups. And so how, how do you bounce back when like personalities and life and just all the regular stuff kind of overshadows that connection, um, in those smaller groups to a point where, um, if you're kind of, if you've been jaded in smaller groups before, it makes you not even want to reach 
for the smaller, the bigger groups. So like, yeah. how do you? When you say bigger, can you define what you mean by bigger? Meaning like moving outside of that immediate circle of people that you really feel comfortable with and then yeah. going to people who might not be in the small circle, but in the circle around the small circle. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think some of this is like, this is, it's like a, it's a personal discernment piece in nature, but with other people. And so, so sometimes like you have experiences either from life or from other churches or, what, or even this church where like there's pain and there's hurt involved. And the thing that you have to discern is, is this a season where like I really need to like take a step back a little and really experience some care and support from the people who are closest to me? Um, and with, with the full expectation that I can't stay there forever. Like our tendency when we get into those places just to set up camp and to never leave. And so it's like, well, I kind of like it here. Um, and so I'm going to get curtains. Maybe I'll get a recliner. I'm just going to, I'm going to chill out here for a while. Um, but, but it's, it's, you go in with the understanding, like I am, I'm receiving care and attention so that I can go back out. The discernment piece that's really important is to know when that, when the Lord is calling us into that kind of space and when the Lord is saying like, that's actually not the space that you need. What you need to do is to go have that difficult conversation. And because we are, and that's why you need other people to speak into your blind spots um, and to let the Lord minister through the wisdom of other people. Because like, quite frankly, like there are times I just don't want to have difficult conversations. I'd rather just avoid. And it's knowing like, when is that happening? And when is like God calling me? So it's, there isn't a clear cut answer. I don't think, I think it's like, again, John 5, 19, what's, what's the father doing? But having, don't do that in isolation. We do that with other people. The hands are flying up into the air. Lawson. Uh, so I thought really helpful, which also feels like a little bit of a Holy Spirit moment. Um, because we are, House Church went on a retreat this past weekend and we were talking about East End Fellowship in general and some of the great things and some of the hard things and the perfection versus practice uh, was actually something we talked about yesterday, talking about some of the longings of ways we were hoping East End um, would be different. We, we, we just like got to this word practice. We're like, oh, we need to practice that. We need to practice that. Not that we can be it all the time, but we can practice it. We can practice justice. We can practice talking about race. We can practice, you know, yeah, just all of the things. Um, dancing. <laughs> dancing. Absolutely. We practiced today, which was awesome. Um, and Caleb's floss was on point. Um, so, so thank you. That was really helpful. And I think maybe just a word of encouragement for us as we develop and and for our leadership of like, how are we not seeking to be a perfect church for what everybody needs us to be, but how are we seeking to practice the things that Jesus asks us to? Um, so (laughs) the question, (laughs) it might, it it might not, it's okay if you just want to like, dodge it and move on. Um, I think that the, when in this picture of like, uh, you know, saying the Acts 2 and, and in general the Acts vision of like, okay, be the church, right? You can't change the whole world, but you can, you can do this here with this. You can live out justice. You can. We're not all going to have the same picture, right, of what that looks like. So what does challenging and grace look like in what our garden pictures are. Um, and just, and this is the other, one of the things my house 
church crew of folks that were a lot newer, um, we're just like longing for some of those elephants in the room to be named at East End Fellowship. Um, so one, I just want to confess as a founding elder here, like there's just lots of stuff that, you know, we did or that we came to this work and life with that we weren't good at then setting up and discipling other people into. So I just want to name that. But the, you know, school choice, it's one we spent a lot of time on in, in our house church this weekend. Um, yeah, what, what, what does it look like when what my picture of justice is of what we can be doing in the church isn't someone else's? How do I say, no, I want to challenge you in that. I actually don't think it's okay what you're choosing versus grace of, hey, we're all, we're all pursuing this Jesus thing together, you know. But, but those tensions have to be played out in the church, and, and we, we do have to learn how to talk about it. How do we practice being different but also saying... No, we got to name that. When when you run away from hard things that our society needs, we got to name it. I don't know. So yeah, super easy. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I think I think I can give a I can give a framework that might be helpful to think through, but that doesn't necessarily like answer. So I like this is this is one of the challenges I think of like modern church life um, because we're in a we're in a Context like this country has thirty thousand denominations in this one country, and so like our like what what our just kind of what's in our blood. I mean, we are ten blocks from "Give Me Liberty or Give Me Death Street." Um, for, for where that is, that, is that like if I don't agree, I split off and I start my own thing. Like that's in the water. So I think there there are three things that we have to we have to think through. Um, and it's uh, what are what are open-handed things, what are closed-handed things, and what are going to be what I'll call our radical norms. And so, by a closed-handed thing, what I mean by that is, for two thousand years, this is what people have, for the most part, universally agreed on what it is to be a Christian. And I don't necessarily mean the practice; I mean the things that we believe. So, if you want a quick rundown of what those things are, Google the Apostles' Creed. For about 2,000 years, this is what people have agreed on. Those are kind of closed-handed things. Open-handed things are things that we could disagree on, and we might disagree on very, very, very strongly. But these are secondary faith issues and secondary practice issues. Does that make sense? And one of the problems for like our context is that we oftentimes say things that are, we'll, we'll say these things are, we'll make things a closed-handed issue that are actually open-handed issues. So we have, we, we have women in ministry who serve as elders. There are churches that do not agree with that and think that we are heretics because of that. Does, it, does that make sense? Think that there, there would be some churches that say, like, you're not a Christian because of that. Now, historically, I can be like, well, that's not true because that didn't make the Apostles' Creed, did it? <laughs> but I'm not, I'm not actually, like, it's funny, but I'm serious. But then we get to the radical norms. And what I mean by that is, is a group of people saying, this, like, th- this is about calling. This is about hearing from God in this place for this people in this time. This is what we believe God has called us to do that is radical. But for us, another church might call it radical, but here we call this normal. 
And it doesn't mean that if you don't do it, you're not a Christian. And it doesn't mean that you can't be in fellowship with it. It it is a like, we're responding to the call of God. And so when we think about something like school choice, which is a very big, important question for this neighborhood and for this people, those are some difficult questions that we have to wrestle with and actually say at the end of the day, this is what we feel called to do as a people. It doesn't mean you can't be a part of the church if you're not from that, but those are conversations that we're going to have. It doesn't mean you're not a Christian if you come to a different conclusion or don't want to do that. Does that make sense? There is a presence of gracefulness that has been lost in the American church. And honestly, if like, you read the book of Galatians, you'd be like, well, it's barely present there. <laughs> Um, because we're human. Like, we're human. And we need help. Like, the, I need more love, more joy, more peace, more patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And that comes through the Spirit, not by me just, like, pushing at that harder. And so I think that's, those are, that's a framework that I think through and that, that we're not done with. Like, even the question that you're asking, we're practicing into that. Because we don't have those. I wish I had those answers three years ago. And we're still working on some of those answers. In 10 years, we'll probably be working on some of these things and new ones as well. And so, like, the idea, like, if you think about historically in the last 500 years, we just celebrated this thing called the Reformation. And the idea was not that, like, the Reformation was over. It's that it's constantly happening. God is constantly reforming his people. God is constantly shaping us. God is constantly pushing us, informing us to be a spiritual family together that is imperfect. And so we're constantly in process. All right, we can take one or two others, and then we're going to move to communion. Popo. Man, you're tall. Um, I guess my comment is the... um uh, just your explanation of like the early church and the relationships of um, you know forty to seventy people. I think um, my own experience as a part of this community has um, just like praise God, it has like felt very similar to that since the time I first um, got to Richmond, like you know. 14 years ago. Um, and when I, uh, uh, you know, have looked around this, uh, space that we're in for the last 10 years or something like that, um, my experience in life has been just so connected to the stories that I see in the relationships here, you know, which has mostly been like 40 to 70 folks. I mean, some of you guys don't know me and some of you, I don't know very well, but, um, uh, but that has been my um, uh, my experience in the church has been um, uh, seeing a good friend deal with um, facing eviction and getting to watch that uh, them walk through that journey. Um, you know, um, Don's okay with me talking about him, um, but seeing Don's like very like public journey with his health. And uh, seeing his family walk through that um, has just, you know, I'm a physician. That's been like a very like, um, that's been a narrative in my uh, life. Seeing others is like, what is, um, what has God done in Don's life? And, um, you know, and other things, uh, other issues have come up uh, that this church has walked through, issues of, um, uh, of, uh, 
you know, same-sex relationships in the church and getting to see um, someone who became a very good friend, like, talk with that openly in front of me. Um, and so it's, like, these these really hard questions that I think we, like, don't have resolution on, like, like where should you send your kids to school? It's not like our church has a position on that. Um, but getting to watch... Uh, people walk faithfully pursuing God, having honest conversation with each other. Has, that's been my experience here. And, you know, when I look around at place, other places in the country, like we're not doing that perfectly, but um, like those conversations happen in this group of people. And, um, you know, I'm just like really grateful that it does. And uh, that part of uh, your talk made me think like, hey, that part of our church is like, that is the church, and that's what it's been for me. I don't have a question, but that's my comment. Yeah. Hey, we'll take that. All right, let's do one more, and then we're gonna we're gonna move into a time of communion. Is that Paul Granger? So for the comment, I appreciated seeing the five things, well, four for a while there, uh, and then seeing how um, just God's provision when we are experiencing that brokenness, providing the ways to kind of grow back into that. Um, the question is, you know, before Acts 2, we see uh, the disciples, they're, they're experiencing um, community, they're living in a spiritual family, but in Acts 2 and beyond, we see something that looks very different. And one of the big things that happens is the spirit. And so my question is, what does it look like? What's the difference between us creating community and spiritual family versus the spirit doing that? Or put another way, doing a throwback to last summer, the difference between community and community. I didn't coin that. That was Aaron Rose. No, that was Aaron Rose. I, I mean, I, I, there is a... I, this is this is where I, again I, I feel like you'll just hear something from me that I've said before, and I'll probably just have to keep saying it because that's I don't know another answer. Um, which is we have to discern that together. Like we have to discern. Like there are there are times like in our staff time together, for instance, or times on our elder team where because of like my personality, like I want to just don't laugh at me, Pastor Don. Gosh. I hear you giggling all the way over there. So, like I'm, a, I'm like a starter. Like I want, I am push things forward, vision, strategy. Let's go. Um, and by nature and by default, my thing can be let's move. Um, that is that's that's a good that's a gift to the body. Unchecked, it's a curse to the body. Um, and, and probably we've all, through my leadership in some way, shape, or form, experienced a bit of that curse from time to time. Um, hopefully we've also experienced the blessing of that. The point is like, we don't like the, the, the question that Paul is asking around like, how, how do we let the spirit form communities? It requires community to do that. Um, even, even if it's like a person saying like, I have this sense that we're supposed to start X and we're going to lead out of that. That needs to be confirmed. And so, like, in, in 1 Corinthians 14, when it talks about, like, what does it look like even when a prophetic word is given, the prophet gives this thing, and then it's released to a group of two or three witnesses to weigh and interpret that. The way that we do this is by doing it together. 
and is not relying on one person who might be sitting over there, but by saying, like, we do this together. The Spirit has formed us together to be his body together. And we all have different functions. I am the toenail. Chris is the neck. Lawson is whatever Lawson is. I, the teeth. You're laughing. But, but like we all, we're forming this body. And the way that this thing forms, the way that we allow the Holy Spirit to do it, is to do it together. But when we let rogue agents do it by themselves, can God use that? Yes. God can use a donkey, right? We say that God can use it. But like when we read the scriptures, we see like God's, the the way God has set things up to exist is that we would do it together, not in an unchecked way, but in a way that we communally weigh these things together. So we we can say like when the the early church is is faced with some very difficult, very difficult questions, they, they walk away from the first time where they're like, this is, whew. Like, this is their response. It seemed good to us and to the Holy Spirit. And they released this word into, like, the churches that had been scattered. So I I know, again, that that doesn't sound like a very concrete or practical answer, but it is incredibly concrete and practical. I hope that you never get a different answer than that here at Easton Fellowship, which is that we will do this together as we communally weigh what it is that God is saying together through the scriptures and through his people. With that being said... Oh, yeah. We can do one more question. And so then I, we'll do communion. I asked Doug if we could do one more question because just someone may have a question stirring in them and felt like you got, you're off the hook now because you might be kind of shy because that was Doug's <laughs> last question. We, we got a hand. And we heard from up. a lot of people who <laughs> actually ask a lot of questions, so I'm glad I opened it back up. <laughs> okay. Hello. Hey. Um, I guess like it's like a kind of wrap-up question to like the three comments that have been said. Um, my question was, why would you limit the capabilities of a spiritual family in terms of saying you can't change systematic oppressions? Because that was said earlier. Yeah, I, I'm, I think what I would say is it's, it's an understanding of how change happens. Uh, and so at, at the end of the day, even, even within like the... Israel, you have this thing that's supposed to be like using a big word, a theocracy. Like it's based on God and his laws. And even within that, where injustice was legislated out of it, they managed to squeeze it right back in. Um, Rome never legislated out injustice. They just fell to pieces. Um, We have, it's not that we can't do things with injustice. We can. I mean, like we have seen in the last 30 or 40 years, seismic shifts in addressing this. And I think sometimes it's lost. Some of those seismic shifts, if not most of those seismic shifts, have been led by the people of God in this country. So it's not saying that they can't happen. It's saying sometimes we find ourselves in places where we don't have the ability. So like in Nazi Germany... What happens when the church doesn't step up and do something? Well, you get the Holocaust, quite literally. Um, in, in other places, like in Rwanda, when we see the genocide between two Christian tribes, who are like the Hutus and the Tutsis, like, look what happened, like, what's going on there, right? And so it's like, the, we have, we are called to be faithful to fighting injustice, but at the end of the day, the results are up to, like, whatever the Lord is doing. But our job is to keep fighting no matter what. And I know that's not like this 
the sweetest answer in the world, but it's, it's, it's the best that I think we know how to do in the midst of like, we don't have absolute sovereign control because we're not God, but we are always called to fight and we're always called to push. We're always called to call something unjust when it is unjust and to fight for systemic change in any way, shape or form that we can. While, and this is, this is the, the flip of this that I want to say, like the challenge is that there can be times where you're so focused on systemic change, like broadly and abstractly, that we don't see the things that are happening in the relationships right in front of us. And those, and, and I, I mean like, we can fight eviction and I can be best friends with someone who's about to be evicted. I can do both of those things. It's not an either or. It's a both and. I don't know if that makes, that completely answers the question. We can talk after the, the large gathering if you would like. And Pastor Dot will be there too. It's more eloquent on such matters. Thanks, Marcellus. Where I want to land the plane is this. Like, being committed to a spiritual family uh, is not saying that that family has all the right answers. It's not saying that we are perfect or that you are perfect. It's saying that we are trying to practice with the power of Jesus, the practices that Jesus gives us. And when we feel like we can't do it, we ask God for help. And so coming to the table is a weekly recognition when we do this of saying, I need your help. I need your help. We, we are, we are acknowledge, when we come to the table, we acknowledge the cross, saying there's a reason this happened. Because it is addressing my, need, my powerlessness from making different choices and the power that you give me in the life that is to come so that the outcome could be different. And so this is what Paul writes to the Corinthian church. He says, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. And I'm going to ask our communion servers to come up. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread, and we had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is the body, which has been broken, and it is for you. This is your feast for tonight. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he poured it. He said, this is the cup of the covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. First later, he says, everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread or drink from the cup. So one of the practices that we have is before you come up, we're going to ask that you would just take a moment and that you would just take some time of self-examination with the Spirit. And that you would ask, Lord, what is it that you are saying to me? Is there, is there anything um, that is in me? that you want to share before I come to the table. When we come to the table, what what we are also trying to say is like, every piece of me, my mind, my heart, 
my body, my soul, like they're all available to you. Everything I have is available to you. Now, we come to the, this is a weird thing, we come to the table knowing we can't actually do that. And so we come to the table saying, Lord, I need help so that I can do that. We need his power. So Lord Jesus, we give you this time. We ask that you would speak to us. We ask that you would continue to give us the gift of your presence. Lord, we thank you that there is a world that awaits us and a world that we get to experience flashes and glimmers now where there is wholeness waiting for us, where the experience of your presence is perfectly experienced and waiting for us, where there is always enough, there's pure abundance, where there is only unity, where everything is put back together. Lord, we thank you that that you are attempting to give us that life right now, that we don't have to wait. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Elders and those in the prayer ministry, if you, after you take communion, would um, just make your way to your places along the walls. Um, anyone who desires prayer, please go seek those people out. They're there for you. Christ is alive Let Christians sing the cross stands empty to the sky. Let streets and homes with praises ring. Love drowned in death shall never die.